scripture this morning uh, comes from the 22nd chapter of Matthew and also from the 8th chapter of Acts. And as I read from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, know that uh, we'll deal later in the sermon with the 8th chapter of Acts. So uh, don't think when I dive right in after I've read Matthew that I've forgotten about uh, Acts. That'll just come a little bit later. So here are the uh, words from the 22nd chapter of Matthew, verses 36 through 39. A lawyer addressing, a Pharisee addressing Jesus says, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is God's good word for us this morning. And by way of a reminder... This is typically referred to as the great commandment. So when you read Matthew, there are two things that particularly stand out. One of them is this great commandment, and the other is the great commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in the 28th chapter, where we are commissioned to go and share good news with all the world. And we are promised that Jesus will always be with us in that effort. And so usually those two commandments, the great commandment and the great commission, are paired together. Uh, They work together. So when we look at the great commandment, it first of all deals with God's love and the meaning of God's love. And we're called to remember in Jesus' words and in his witness and in his actions that Jesus, the Christ, reveals God's love to us. That Christ came into this world to show us what God's love is like. God the Son. So the first thing that we learn and that we know through what Jesus teaches us about love is that God's love is unmotivated. So lest any of us think that uh, we did something, something good to prompt God into acting, uh, surely God will bless me because I am so wonderful. Uh, those of you, if you're as old as me, you may remember Mac Davis's name, oh Lord, it's, or song, it's, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in so many ways. Well, there are some folks that that uh, kind of look at the uh, landscape of their life and and basically conclude, how could God have a problem with me? I'm pretty good, and there shouldn't be any problem. But what Paul reminds the church of in the fifth chapter of Romans, verse 8, is that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, And it is while we are yet sinners 
That's when Christ comes to us. Not because we're good, not because we're deserving, not because we've earned enough brownie points, but because we're in need of a Savior, because we're all sinners. And so, lest you look at your neighbor and, uh, and wonder how they could be so much worse than you are, remember, we are all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. And remember, as Jesus tells us in John 3.16, perhaps the most memorized verse in all the Bible, that God so loved the world. And the world means everybody and everything. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And there was no restriction on that. World means pretty much world. And God was motivated to do that, not because uh, we were so deserving, but but because God loves us. Love is an action verb, and God acts in love. So I tell folks that uh, are preparing for marriage and weddings that I'm I'm, uh, going to do, I say, if you want to keep the romance alive in, in your, your, your life, in your marriage, a good way to do that is to remember love is an action verb. It's active. You do things. You act in loving ways toward each other. So there will be some times when your spouse needs to be encouraged. There will be some times when your spouse needs to be forgiven. There will be sometimes. Uh, when your spouse needs to be taken care of. There'll be sometimes when you need to clean up your spouse's mess, if they're sick particularly. You'll have to act in loving ways. It won't be based on how you feel in that moment, necessarily. It'll be based on uh, your commitment to act. And if you act in loving ways... I think you'll be surprised, I tell folks, at how much you're able to kindle and rekindle the romance in your marriage. Act in loving ways. God is unmotivated by nothing else other than the fact that God loves us. God can't be manipulated. So in Matthew 20, there's a story of people who show up for work and the ones who come early in the morning... uh, They're paid exactly what they're promised, but much to their surprise, those who show up at the end of the day are getting the same thing. And you can imagine there was some grumbling, and there was. A challenge uh, to the person that owned the vineyard that was paying everybody. And the response in the lesson of the parable is, is simply this. Why do you begrudge my generosity? It's mine. It's mine. And I will be generous with who I'll be generous with. Don't try to manipulate me with your idea of what is fair. Boy, if you want to be treated fairly and not by grace, not by God's grace, we're all in trouble. I I don't want fairness. I I want God's grace. Don't begrudge God's generosity. Don't try to manipulate that. 
or bargain that. Uh, God, I've done this, so uh, certainly you'll give me this. Or, God, if you'll get me out of this mess, then I'll be better in the future. You know, you've heard the old adage, there are no uh, atheists in foxholes. Well, there are no atheists in math classes either. Uh, I found that out. You know, often, oftentimes I'd you know, go in, into a test. God, help me pass this test, this math test. And the next time I'll study. You know? and, and you know what? Um, it, it really, God never answered my prayer on that. And uh, I, I guess the answer was, you will study. That is the answer you need to study if you want to pass these things. There won't be deliverance. We can't manipulate God. God's love is unconditional, Matthew 19. Uh, there's uh, the story of the rich, a rich young ruler, as he's come to be known. And we get that definition from really combining all the, de- the description in three different Gospels. But this guy shows up in front of Jesus, uh, confident of what he has done. And so he says, well, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And, and, uh, and Jesus says, well, the commandments, the five commandments governing personal conduct, don't kill anybody, don't commit adultery, don't covet somebody else's property, so on and so forth. And, and the, the young guy says, well, I'm there. I, I have, I've done that. I am, I'm good with that. And Jesus says, then, uh, uh, speaking of the other five commandments that deal with our relationship with the Lord. The great commandment, love God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul. So Jesus says, okay, there's only one thing you have to do. That's pretty much it. And, and so what, what you need to do is just give up everything you have and come follow me. Just get rid of it. And scripture tells us that that young man goes away sorrowfully. But it also says that God looks upon him, Christ looks upon him with compassion. With sorrow. That he's unable to give up those things. But God's love is unconditional. It's not conditioned, again, on what we do, but on who we uh, believe God is through Jesus Christ. God's love is unlimited, so that when God comes to us, when Christ comes to us in the resurrection, in John, the 20th chapter, verse 19, John comes to his disciples who are huddling in fear, comes to them in the power of the resurrection, the first thing he says is, fear not. Then he says, peace. Peace be with you. Okay? Things are going to be different. And he comes saying, uh, now it's payback time. You betrayed me. You denied me. And now you will get what you deserve. Jesus comes saying and speaking, peace. We're going to get this right. We're going to understand grace. We're going to understand forgiveness. So Paul can say in Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 38 and 39, absolutely nothing is ever going to be able to separate you from the love of God that's yours in Christ Jesus. That's the meaning of of God's love revealed 
by Jesus. So then we deal with the meaning of, of neighbor. And so there's a story in the 8th chapter of Acts about uh, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Philip. And Philip is on the road, traveling, uh, spreading good news. He's instructed to get up and and go south, Uh, go on the road from Jerusalem down to Gaza, he's instructed. Along that road, Philip encounters an Ethiopian eunuch, a man who is treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia's uh, resources. So he's a court official. And in that encounter, Philip has the opportunity to interpret scripture to this man about the Messiah, prophecy concerning the Messiah. And to instruct the eunuch that the Messiah, the person that he's reading about, has come. That forgiveness is, uh, has become manifest in the, purpose, in the person of Jesus. So the eunuch then says, well, okay, that sounds good. This guy, Jesus. Uh, and you say baptism, that, that's kind of part of this. And, and Philip said, yeah, yeah, that's right. Why can't I be baptized? And as soon as that question is asked, here's what may have popped into Philip's mind. Uh, The eunuch was a eunuch. And uh, the eunuch was made to be a eunuch so he could be the treasurer to the queen. In other words, the king didn't trust, he might have trusted the eunuch with money, but he didn't trust him with uh, his wife. So the eunuch became a eunuch because he was castrated. In Jewish life, that was somebody to scorn. That was somebody that you didn't have anything to do with. And really in other parts of society, that person was looked upon with somewhat of disdain. Because of who they were or weren't sexually. And the second thing that might have popped into Philip's mind is uh, this guy's black. He's from Ethiopia. He's a different race. He's a different ethnicity. And the third thing that may have popped into his mind is this guy's a political figure. He's in charge of stuff. And, and we folks who have been under the oppression of different political systems for, for decades, for centuries, we, we don't much like any political figures. So all those things, I think, might have, and I think probably were, in Philip's mind. There are some things that he had to lay down, and Paul talks about that in Romans 4. It's great to lay down your life for another, and typically we think... And we should think that it is uh, actually laying down our life, giving our life, dying for somebody else. But I think it means more than that. I think it means laying down some things, uh, some prejudices, hatred, fear, pride, things that we cling to so strongly 
that we might find difficult to lay down. But that's what we're asked to lay down. Some years ago, in a Sunday school class, well, almost 40 years ago now, I had a Sunday school teacher, her name was Jan Crouch, and she was the, the uh, wife of the pastor of the church that I was attending at that time. And she shared something personal with us in that Sunday school class, something that was going on in her life, that had been going on in her life. And she started to tear up as she talked about it. She started talking about her daughter. Her daughter had cancer. And her daughter had to have a treatment. It was a, uh, kind of an off-the-grid treatment, experimental treatment. Uh, Forty years ago, not quite a, a lot different than it is today. She was arguing with the insurance company about whether it would be covered or not. And the best that they could do was they, they got some of it covered, but not all of it covered. And they were trying to determine, how do we pay for the rest of it? How do we do that? It occurred to Jan Crouch somewhere along the line, she had collected antiques all her life, or certainly most of her adult life. It occurred to her, you know, I've got all these antiques, probably if I sold them, uh, I could cover, we could cover, the family could cover the remaining expense. These things have, have some value. Some of them have great value. And in sharing that story, she said, I never realized, because there was one particular piece that she was especially attached to, one piece, piece of antique furniture, quite expensive. She said, when it got time for me to make that decision of giving my possessions up, I was convicted about how much uh, my possessions had possessed, become to possess me. How difficult it was to let go of that. She said, I'm, we're talking about my daughter's life. And I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm distressed because I'm having to give up furniture and other objects. She said, I, I tell you, I felt, I felt ashamed of myself for feeling that way. But she said, I honestly, it was one of the more difficult things that I ever had to do. And she did it. She got rid of all that. They were able to get the daughter the treatment that she needed. The daughter did well, very well, and went into remission and uh, lived many, many years uh, beyond that. She said in the process of that uh, these words to us, the Sunday school class, if you cannot give it away, you do not understand who it really belongs to. If you cannot give it away, you do not understand who it really belongs to. So the things, there are things that Jesus ask us to lay down, to give up, to recognize who, who our things really belong to, but beyond that, to give up our prejudice and our hatred and our pride, to lay that down, get rid of it. What's the meaning of neighbor? Well, the meaning of neighbor just well may be the people that God puts along the roadways that we travel, the people that we encounter, 
people that we run into just like Philip ran into the eunuch. And Philip, in God's grace, remembered the meaning of God's love. And he laid down whatever prejudice, whatever fear, whatever hatred he had. And he became a a vessel of God's grace in that moment. He loved his neighbor because he loved God and he knew how much God loved him. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the way that you touch our lives and work in our lives each and every day. And Lord, uh, sometimes we're uh, asleep at the wheel and we, we don't recognize what's going on. Uh, Lord, we, we always pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts and minds so we know your presence. God, we thank you that uh, we don't ever have to wonder if you're there. You're there each and every moment, each and every day. God, uh, what we pray is that we would love you more deeply. And because we love you and understand your great love for us, that we would be moved to act and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as you're able as we sing together our hymn of commitment when it is evening.